All right, let's uh, pray, and then people miraculously appear when we say amen. So that's always how it works. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, waking us up and bringing us here uh, to learn about you and to fellowship together and to rejoice together in the gospel. Thanks for uh, the chance to look at uh, your mission to the world and how it includes us and how we should understand it and be empowered and energized for it. I uh, pray that you would uh, teach us and uh, lead us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not going to hand out the papers yet because that would give away something I'm going to ask you. Make you guys sweat a little bit. <clears throat> We're talking about mission. I dropped the S. I don't like the S in missions because it's the, the mission, right? <clears throat> so this is a timeline of history. Where should we start talking about missions? Mission. I'm going to take votes for where... Let me say on this side of the cross is where we should start. Okay, so I got one vote for this side. Anybody else? Have anybody say we should start talking this side of the cross when we talk about mission? Mm-hmm. Right, we got one, two, three. Winnie, what do you think? <clears throat> We're going to talk about mission. Missions. Where should we start talking about it? After the cross or before the cross? Like Old Testament or should we start in New Testament? We're taking votes, so uh, we've got one vote for New Testament. Okay, we got one. Okay, we got four. What's that? With a shrug. Okay, that that's a half. That's a half. Yeah, yeah, three and a half. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> let's talk about that for just just one or two minutes. <clears throat> Tommy, what what was your thinking behind uh, your vote? Um, I guess like beginning of the church age. So you'd say like Pentecost, Spirit coming down. Matthew 18, the Great Commission. Oh, 828. What does that say? No, Matthew 28. Matthew, Matthew 18 is the... Oh, yeah, Matthew 20, the judgment text. 28, 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good call. And that's the command for... Go into... All the world, right? Okay, we're going to get there next week, but we're not even going to get to that. So that gives away (laughs) what I'm going to do this morning. So yeah, here's the command, here's the outpouring of the Spirit. You see people evangelizing multiple nationalities of people in their own language. Yeah. Uh, Who wants to venture those who voted for... Old Testament as the place where we begin understanding mission. What, what are you guys thinking? Before I hand out the handouts. 
Like which people? Israel. And what? Who was confronting them? Um, the prophets and the... Oh, okay. So this starts talking about who's the mission field, and the prophets were confronting who? So Burke is saying that mission field number one is the church, because in many times in the Old Testament, the, the church was worse than the world in terms of their, their sin. In fact, the prophets say, you teach the other nations how to sin. So uh, thanks a lot, guys. You know, <laughs> you're a mission field now. I've got to... Uh, clean you guys up, and then mission field two was uh, the nations, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Bert. Good, Good thinking. <clears throat> Anybody want to go further back than the prophets? Abraham. Okay, Abraham. <clears throat> what about Abraham? Through you, all the nations of the world. Okay. Through you, all nations will be blessed. We're actually going to look at that text then. Good, good, good. Thanks for letting me uh, pick your brains. Here's... here's. Wait, wait, you it. Oh, oh wait, you want to go further? Yes. Okay. Paul, Paul roots the calling of the Gentiles to the eternal plan of God in, in Ephesians. Whoa. So it goes all the way back. So we got an infinity... Yeah. <clears throat> According to this plan at the beginning, that it's going to work towards into the Just then. <clears throat> yeah, I was hoping to avoid that, but. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, I'm not trying to avoid anything. It's all fair game. Alright. Does anybody know what the word mission means? Rocket scientists here? Missile. No. A missile. What's a missile? It's an ice cream thing. <laughs> a missile? Yeah. Oh, the bomb pop? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's like kind of orange. It's oh, yeah. I'm not in ice cream season yet. I'm still in. <clears throat> well, mission, literally, it comes from the Latin missio which means to send. So just to think about it is, before you even talk about people who are lost, people who are different color skin, different country, different language, pygmies, pagans, you know, whatever, the people that we want to go to, we have to think about the who. There's multiple who's we want to look at. 
uh, together. So I probably need to erase some things because your brain is like confused. Too many words here. <clears throat> Yeah, we'll erase it and write it again. <clears throat> so if mission means sent, who does the sending? Mission organizations? The people who write checks to missionaries? Well, it actually starts back with creation. <clears throat> The first thing that's ever sent from the Trinity is a word by which all things were made. So God was perfectly content in himself, but he sent a word outside himself that made everything else that is not himself, including, uh, we've talked about this before, physical creation and personal creation, which is mankind. So God is the sending God. He sends his word and it makes everything. And we're going to see what he then does in the sending of his personal uh, creation out to the rest to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> so let's look at these uh, passages uh, here. And we're going to see that uh, God works his plan A of sending his plan for redemption through some things that we would actually maybe want to label plan B. And we run smack into this at the first passage I have uh, written uh, for you. Um, is it Harry? Yes. Would you mind reading Genesis 3? Sure. I will put, I will put enmity between you and the woman your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his head. Okay, who, who's this talking about? Kind of a weird passage. <clears throat> Does anybody remember? Satan. So God's talking to Satan. Is this bad news or good news for Satan? Bad news, okay. And it's good news for who? God and who? Everybody else, right? Jesus. Yeah, it's actually talking about Jesus. That's always a safe answer in Sunday school. <laughs> and here's, kind of, here's an interesting concept. Before we have any concept of nations, ethnicities, other languages, we get that a feel for that in uh, Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel before we ever have a language problem. We start to see that we have a family tree problem that God has already given us kind of a, a snapshot of the human race. There's the seed of the woman that God will redeem through Christ. And then there's this other family tree of people who are in rebellion against God, which is called seed of the sermon. So there's kind of like two families. We talk about, we're going to talk about all the families of the earth, but all of those families of the earth can be broken up into two families. God's family and then... God's enemies. And so this is kind of the broad over uh, arch of what God's doing in the world. And it's kind of introduced right at the beginning of the story, right at the beginning of sin. God is announcing uh, redemption uh, through, his, uh, through the seed 
of the woman, which is talking about uh, uh, talking about Jesus. Some people say, "Well, this just means women will hate snakes." I don't think that's what this passage is about. <laughs> Some women love snakes, so yeah. I don't. Does that kind of make sense? God's kind of given us the spiritual terrain of the world. Is He's going to be doing something in the world? He's going to be redeeming it, and there's other things at work in the world. Uh, that are confronting it and uh, fighting against it, and Jesus will be uh, victorious is really the message from the very beginning. Okay, so that's uh, Genesis 3. Now we get to Genesis 12. So this is after the fall, after the flood, after uh, the Tower of Babel, which we should probably just speak to that real quick. The Tower of Babel is, is mankind in unity, but a unity what? For God or against God? Against God for themselves. Yeah, so these people were on a mission. They were trying to send not a rocket to the sky, but actually a tower to the sky, which looked kind of like uh, Mayan... Uh, one of those temple kind of things, a ziggurat, which is what the Middle Eastern kind of uh, pyramids were called. They were trying to send, make a name for themselves to the heavens, and, and God looked at it and said, they're unified, they're speaking the same language, there's no limit to what they can do in opposition to me. So God scrambled their languages. And so in Genesis 11, we kind of get, we are introduced because of sin, uh, we could call it the language language barrier. And obviously that's going to give rise to different nations that gather around each other around a common language so that they can cooperate, so they can live and have conversation and, uh, and community. And so right in the very next chapter after this happens, we, we are introduced to a man named Avram, and later God changes his name to Abraham which means a father, a mighty father. Okay, who, uh, let's see, who can I pick on? Winnie, can you read Genesis 12? families of the earth, yeah. Oh yeah, that's actually a little footnote, but it, when I copied and pasted, yeah, so I should look at that closer. <clears throat> okay, the Lord says to Abraham, this very interesting missionary word, what does he say? Go. So here's one guy, he lives in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. <clears throat> which is kind of like northeast Iraq, pretty much. Um, so it says to this guy, Hey, Abram, leave where you live. What's problem number one with that? You don't know. 
Yeah, he doesn't want to. It says, leave your country, your family, your father's house, all the safety words. This is where you live. This is what you know. These are the people you hang out with. They speak your language. Uh, this is your place. You're an East Bay person. Okay. Oh, I got to move to the Central Valley? Duh. I'm an East Bay person. You know, come on. Don't do that to me. Uh, God is telling Abram, go to this land I'm going to show you, which is to the great unknown. So what is Abraham faced with? What does obedience look like for Abram? They say, I'll pray about it. Can I write a check so someone else can go? No, he has to pack up the U-Haul uh, on his uh, camel and 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 go. <clears throat> but here God introduces something bigger and maybe scarier. I will make of you a great nation. And then out of you I will bless all the nations. And nation, nation, nation. And and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now here here's a struggle that we have. It says <clears throat> and we're gonna do a little Hebrew real quick here. Real quick. <clears throat> If I use the word shall be blessed, what does that sound like? Is that saying this is something guaranteed in the future? So just sit tight, it'll happen. Or is this a command? <clears throat> that he has to participate in. Who votes for command? Me. Actually, in the Hebrew, this is, for all you, you Hebrew geeks, this is an imperative, which means you must be a blessing. You Go be a blessing. Be a blessing. It isn't just, I'm going to give you lots of kids. They're all going to be called Abrahamites. And everybody will say, high five, bless you in the name of Abraham. That's what a lot of scholars think. Actually, he's saying, and you shall be a blessing, meaning I have equipped you and I have sent you to be a blessing, that he is going to be active. <clears throat> Why do I say that? Well, in, in uh, church circles, there, there's a debate. And it's a struggle, and I'm actually writing a book to kind of address the struggle, because I think a lot of people fall either one or the other, and I think the Bible teaches both approaches. One is, <clears throat> Jesus said, you are a city on a hill. So let your light shine before men, so that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So people say, God wants us to focus on the church, and when the church is beautiful, the whole world will see it and, and flock flock to the church, right? 
So focus on the church, right? Man, I'd be a heretic if I said don't focus on the church because what is God focused on? The church. But God is also focused on the world. Oh, shoot, we have a problem now. God, what do you want me to focus on? Church? Well, when are we going to ever purify the church so it's uh, holy and awesome? He will. He will. So, like, if you're waiting... Well, like, we're going to reform the church when the church gets perfectly reformed and beautified, and then the world will say, Oh, that's what I've always been waiting for, an awesome church and an awesome gospel and awesome people and awesome music. I want to be a Christian. Guess what? We'll be reforming the church till Jesus comes. So it's not that we reform the church first and someday we get around to the world. God has said... Both, And that's actually what God is saying to Abraham is be God's, believe his promises, raise your family, and actively be a blessing. What? Be, yeah, not little g, yeah, not little idols, right? <clears throat> so here, here's the command to go, here's the command to be a blessing, and here's a command that includes uh, the nations. So it's narrow that God is choosing a man, but he is also choosing him for his purpose that is now uh, broad. And uh, I call that the covenant mission. There are two aspects. Being God's people for the sake of God's mission. Okay, well let's uh, speed up to the Psalms here because we're at 1030 almost. <clears throat> uh, Tommy, can you read Psalm 22? So what's God's goal according to this this verse? Yeah, redemption. Is it just he's going to make the nation say uncle under his big boot? What what kind of picture is this describing? It's a heavenly picture, right? But is that when this is going to happen? Well, there's some debate about that, too. But uh, <clears throat> it says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And that sounds like an awesome worship service. But there will be God's enemies saying, you're God, I'm not. But they're not going to love him. They're not going to delight in him. They're going to agree that he's king. This is an idea where people are enjoying God. They're delighting in God. They're praising uh, God. Psalm 82.8, the nations are God's inheritance. They belong to Him. So this is in a sense that uh, God owns the church and the devil owns everything else and there's this great tug of war till the end of time. It's that God is inheriting uh, all the nations because they're His. He actually... Um, well, the next verse, uh, Bert, Psalm 86. to glorify your name. And I'll skip ahead to the end of the story. Revelation 5. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they 
shall reign on the earth. And I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So right in the middle of the Bible where we think things are maybe the dark ages or uh, maybe it's not very clear about God's, the future of God's mission, there is great hope and uh, great uh, this wide scope of the nations being included in God's, God's redemption. Okay. Prophets. Uh, Burke said God's mission field was actually the church because it was so screwed up. So we see this in Isaiah uh, 6. Uh, Who wants to read? Okay, go for it. And the year that King Isaiah died, Just to recap for a second, Genesis gives us a few categories of people. We've got seed of the woman, seed of the serpent. There's Abraham's people, and then all nations. And here we get to Isaiah. And we see, in one sense, kind of an unfortunate uh, lumping of people. But when Isaiah sees God, what does he say? Woe is me, for I am lost. Whoa, whoa, whoa. A church person being lost? What's up with that? Some translations say, I'm undone, I'm light next to dead, I'm ruined. I thought God's people were supposed to be glorious and holy and perfect and a blessing to the nations. What, what's up with this? <clears throat> so suddenly we have a whole not a new category, but God lumps the church in with the world. What's that big lumping? Unclean. So this gives us an important concept. Who is the gospel for? Is it for the church to go tell the nations, hey, rotten sinners, repent, the end is near. May 21st, 2011, according to some people. Um, <clears throat> we'll talk about that later. But uh, guess what? We're all lumped into this group of sinners, but is there any hope? 
Is there any hope for the church? Is it a different hope than the hope for the world? No, it's the same hope. It's the hope that comes to Isaiah himself as the seraphim flew to him having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He says, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So the message of this mission, both to the church and to the world, is God's provision for sinners. But I want you to look at this revelation of God's glory that the angels are singing to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. The whole earth is full of His glory. I think this vision gives uh, is the basis for John Piper's first sentence in his book on mission called Let the Nations Be Glad. Has anybody read that? I highly recommend that book. Very awesome. He says, missions exists because worship doesn't. He says, we do mission not because there's other languages. We do mission not because there's lost people. We do mission not because of the gospel, but we do mission because God is glorious. If you think about it this way, God, His glory is everywhere. The whole earth. How many people are aware of this glory? How many of you in this room are 100% aware of this glory 100% of the time? Come on, nobody's that awesome in here? Only when I'm in the Napa Valley. Only in the Napa Valley, right. (laughs) On a beautiful Saturday in February when other people are shoveling two feet of snow. Right. Here's the problem. God is glorious. Or as one of the patriarchs said, God was in this place. You know how the rest goes? And I didn't know it. So we've talked about nations, we've talked about sinners, we've talked about the message of the gospel, but really the core of mission is God is glorious, and the great problem is that we don't see it. And in one sense, Isaiah is lamenting, I don't see it, I don't speak it, I don't do it. God's own people that he chose for himself to be radiating his glory as we used to sing a son, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No! I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. Right? That's a missions verse. Everybody says, let your light shine. Okay. And the teacher said, put up your finger. This is your light. And uh, <clears throat> the church has to begin to say, God... We're not just crying because the nations don't get your glory. We are weeping and wailing because the church doesn't get your glory. And so it it will not work just to do missions conferences. It will not work to just send millions of dollars and millions of missionaries to the ends of the earth. The reason God's mission isn't furthered in the world is because God's church isn't enraptured and focused on his glory. I could get on a whole rant about what the church is obsessed with, but, you know, 
comparing your coffee bar to the next church's coffee bar or the kids' program to that church's program or this preacher. He's on this many radio stations or his podcast is downloaded this millions of times a day. God has to be the point or this whole thing is moot. Missions is just a project to make us feel good about ourselves. Missions has to be holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And then saying, who isn't getting it? Well, first of all, the church isn't getting it. So we need to reform the church while we are sending ourselves to the nations. God is sending us to the nations. Because what does Isaiah do after he has been cleansed? And God says, whom shall I send? And our answer is, somebody crazy who likes to eat bugs and sleep on a, you know, flea-bitten mattress and and, uh, speak a weird language. That's the kind of people you should send. What does Isaiah say? I'll go. And I didn't print the very next verse because it's really depressing. It says, they will hear you and not believe. Uh... So I just watched yesterday um, the story of William Carey. It was a re- really poorly made movie, but uh, kind of a just really the story. For seven years, he's just pouring his life out. He loses one of his sons. His wife goes crazy, and uh, and she ends up dying. And he has no converts. And then one of his second convert gets killed. You know, quickly after his baptism profession of faith, and so. We're being sent to this project that looks actually um, impossible, but this is God's. Whose mission is it? It's God's mission. It's not our project that, well, we shouldn't fund it this year because last year was really a bad year, you know. No, we keep funding it because God keeps sending us, and he will have, as we read in Psalm 86, the nations are his inheritance. They will be joining us in worship uh, before him. So listen, uh, flip the page. And this gets to the... uh, I'm a child of missionaries. I've spent every year at some kind of missions conference or on some kind of mission trip or trying to get someone else to go on missions. And it's all this question about how do we fire them up? How do we fire up an army and send them to the ends of the earth? Well, there's a few ways. You can go the guilt route. There are people dying right now without Jesus. Does that make you sad? If it doesn't make you sad, you sicken me. And then they go into this rant about uh, showing pictures of little kids with flies flying up their nose. And, you know, and just like, you know, great songs, but people need the Lord six times during the slideshow. It's like, how can we move people? Well, guilt is one way. Uh, manipulation is another way. I think God, just like we want mission to be God-centered and God-focused and God-exalting, also the methods we use to motivate people should be equally God-focused, God-exalting. And listen to this. Flip the page, Isaiah 42. This is God. He will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. 51.5, my righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples, the coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. And later on in Isaiah it says, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. 
It's earlier. Okay. What passage? Isaiah 9. Okay. Can you read that? <coughs> what, the whole well, the part of, that says that, yeah. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it to justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the seal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So here's the good news about missions. God is more excited about missions than you ever will be. God is more successful at missions than you or the church or all of humanity will ever be. So God is the force behind missions. God is the sender. God is the message. God is the point. So the question is, cool, we're going to watch him do it (laughs) from here. (laughs) More power to you, God. You do all things well. Awesome. We're going to praise you when it's done. We're going to praise you as it's getting done. We're going to praise you as those other guys go. Uh, We're going to praise you as we can send a little bit of money, forego a few lattes in a month and send that money to you. Awesome. I love it that your big project can cost me so little. Obviously, I jest, but then I don't. We're basically saying is when I see mission from God's perspective and we see God as the point of mission, we have to ask ourselves, why is that so little in my my life? Well, it's because, I don't know, let's maybe take a few. Uh, if missions is so big, missions is God's idea, and it's full of God's power, and it's full of great promise of success, then why is it so little a part of our personal and then also our churches, not just this church, but church broadly, uh, part of our what we're jazzed about or activated about. It wasn't missions. You know, part, part of the go, you think, well, missions is over there somewhere. And I don't want to go over there somewhere, so I'm going to stay here and do my thing here. Rather than thinking in terms of, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, you start in your own backyard. Mm-hmm. Well, mission starts here. Yeah. And then, and then you go... And so forth. It's, well, I don't want to go there, so therefore I'm not going to get involved because it's out there. Yeah. So that that's the black and white view. So I'm going to be disobedient here, but you know God's not going to kill me, so it's okay. Because um, mission is all over there, but really go is literally we could say one step towards the edge of your comfort zone, and then several steps over, basically coming to God and saying, "God, I am so content right here." Well, think about Abram. Dude, I'm from here, my dad's here, all my kids are here, all my cousins are here. This is where we live, this is where we raise our sheep and our goats and our camels. God, I love where you planted me, this is awesome, I love living here. Best place on earth. And God says, go, there's other parts of the earth that needs to know my glory. So we're trying to deal with our own comfort and then God's global mission. And God's global mission actually has to, if he is Lord, start to hurt our comfort zone and all the way up to moving to another country maybe first steps is talking to a neighbor uh, and there's a lot in between talking to your neighbor and going to China or Africa yeah. closer than that is your own family it's, you know are you loving your neighbor that lives with you yeah. so I do marriage counseling so I can help you uh, love your closest neighbor if you're married if you're single and have, uh, we're going to talk about peacemaker in here, about how do we live the gospel with our neighbors. All of this is, is all of a piece as we're being transformed 
to think of things the way God does and treat people the way God treats us, forgive our sins and love us uh, more than we deserve. So the, this is all part of the gospel. It's not just the exoticness of getting on an airplane and having to get shots and go through customs somewhere. <clears throat> this is the exoticness of moving out by faith into that next step that's scary, helping someone else see the glory of God. Since the whole earth is full of his glory, basically when we're hanging out at Starbucks with somebody or meet somebody new, we can just do little pokes at, have you considered this part of God's glory in creation or, or redemption or something in your own life, like a testimony of what God's done for you? All of this <clears throat> is on a continuum of mission, being sent out with God's message and with God's grace to the ends of the earth, yes, but right next door is sometimes more painful. So Michael and I have talked about this, about, you know, as a church, where should we send people? Uh, so, we, you know, Hong Kong is, is on our hearts, and it's in the plans to do that. But in some ways, that's really easy, because that's... Certain things are very clear. You're from this culture, you go to this culture. It's really messy when you're part of the same culture, and then introducing Jesus into a place where he's not expected. You know, They expect Westerners to come sharing about Jesus. Your neighbor maybe doesn't. You know, So this is where God's messing with us, and he's also messing with the world, so it begins to look like his plan for it, his mission uh, is accomplished. So uh, we're going to talk next week kind of about from the cross onwards. We're also going to talk about some of the bad parts of the history of mission <clears throat> and some of the future of missions. We'll talk about missional church a little bit and because uh, that's kind of the buzzword in, in churches these days. And uh, yeah, so uh, come next week. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your word that made all things. Thank you for sending Jesus the word uh, so that we might know you and be brought back to you. Thank you for sending uh, missionaries to all the parts of the world that our ancestors came from, that they could hear the gospel and that uh, Western civilization occurred because of the spread of freedom that comes from the gospel. We thank you uh, for uh, the Reformation that restored uh, the gospel and its clarity and its freedom to the church. We thank you for our brothers and sisters all over the world that are suffering uh, for your name's sake. Pray that you would strengthen them with the joy uh, that was set before Jesus as he endured the cross and despised the shame. Would they be able to endure the cross of their persecution? despise its shame and rejoice that they are called by the name above every name uh, that is in Jesus. And so we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for sending uh, us all that we need uh, to do your mission in the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.